Good morning. Good morning, sir. How's it going? It's going pretty well. I'm uh, sipping my coffee. I'm happy. Uh, the juice of happiness flows through you. Mm-hmm, it does. Nice. And uh, days are getting longer here. So like, yes. and it's not, not daylight savings yet. So I woke up at like seven o'clock this morning, which is fine, you know? So I've gotten, I've gotten to uh, wake up and get a few tasks knocked out before recording. Life's good. Nice. My aura ring ran out of batteries and I forgot to charge it before bed. And so I had a night of sleep that was not tracked and I'm so frustrated. Oh no. It's like, did, did it even happen? There's a gap in the metrics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't even feel like I slept because I don't have a number that tells me how well I slept. I have to like use my own assessment. This is super lame. But yeah, no, it's great. The, the sun staying up later is amazing. I'm so all about that. It's getting warmer. The average temperature is creeping up. Things are good. Yeah, got the bikes serviced, so I should hopefully go out on my first ride this weekend, I think. Should be nice. Yeah, I got to do that. Every year I'm like, I got to get my bike tuned up before all the masses get their bike tuned up. And then I wait and it's like a beautiful Saturday and I'm like, I'll get my bike tuned up. It's like, no, you won't. Yep. <laughs> you will wait for a week to get your bike back. Yeah, it's insane too because my wife's been trying to get a new bike this year. She wanted to upgrade her equipment a little bit and talking to bike shops they're like yeah i mean the supply chain is so screwed up on bikes yeah, part of its yeah. demand part of its like international supply chain stuff and like bikes stuck in ports and stuff they're like yeah you might want to look out about two years <laughs> two, <laughs> so, what no that yeah. long well it's like depending on how picky you are like if you have something specific you want and it hasn't already been ordered by the bike shop or whatever, they're like, we, we're not even allowed to order for like even next year. Stuff's kind of locked down. So it's insane. Yeah. Okay. Well, good time to get into bike fabrication if you're right. Yeah, totally. For business. I know. I know. It's crazy. Cool. So we, uh, we shipped partial screen sharing yesterday. Yeah. I saw that announcement. And then when we hopped on this call, I noticed a little, a little new, um, icon in the UI on the share screen button. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Pretty psyched to ship it. Response has been super good, which is awesome. Of course, two things happened when we shipped this. The first was people were like, love it. That's awesome. It'd be great if you could also mm-hmm. I was like, of course. <laughs> yep. Can we not celebrate shipping something for like half a day at least? <laughs> uh, yeah, well they said no, they were they celebrated for two words. Like or like three <laughs> words. I love it. Comma. Yep. <laughs> so classic. Yeah. Which is fine. It's fine. And then also this morning, literally this morning, someone wrote in, it's like feature request. I would love to be able to share part of my screen. Oh, funny. And I was like, I emailed everybody. I tweeted about it. I threw it in the change log that pops up a notification in the app. I don't know if there's much more I can do. Yep. Yep. There's a, that's always going to happen, I guess. But it was just like the timing was kind of funny. It was like this li- like literally just happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's happened to me a few times. But I do love the delight when I get to just like reply back like, it's here and just go here. And people are usually like super stoked. So that's, that's always totally. fun. Yeah. I also had a really nice thing of like we had a problem where due to some just sort of like naive stuff we were doing, People with super huge teams had like the, the, the list was laggy. Someone like complained about it a couple of days ago and we figured it out and got a fix in for this latest release. And so from their perspective, we just like basically insta shipped the thing. And I just emailed him this morning. I was like, hey, like this should be fixed. Can you check? And he's like, yeah, it works great. Thanks for being so fast. 
And it was like, yeah, it was it was pretty easy actually. And like it just kind of happened. To, the timing worked out nicely that we became like fully aware of this and got. But like, I love that impression of, yeah, we just got you your thing and you're happy now. Yeah, yeah. I think I will like never get tired of that. No, and and I relish those opportunities to to be able to deliver something like that and get that kind of response because the fact is like a majority of the time stuff that I receive in support is not, it's not necessarily critical, but it's always people like confused about something or having an issue with something typically or requesting a feature that we don't yet have that would really make things good for them. So it's like, it's biased towards the negative and me making me feel constantly that I'm behind, you know? And so every once in a while when I'm able to delight a customer or get, like I just got an email uh, yesterday from a customer who noticed like some UI changes we made to the scheduling page and he was just like, I just want to say I really love this. This helps a ton. This is great. There was no request attached to it. There was no <laughs> critical feedback. And I was like, oh, I felt, that felt good because it's mm-hmm. kind of rare, you know? Totally. Yeah, that's awesome. Overall, our, our customers are super nice to us, I would say. Like they're, they're, they're pleasant and friendly and complimentary and whatnot. So these are minor complaints. I think I brought this up here on here before, but... I kind of wanted to set aside a month where we just try to go insane about responding to things really quickly. Like schedule no work. But then like when requests come in and we're like, this seems like a thing that we want to do. And also it's not going to take that long. Like do it immediately and just like put everybody on it and just like be just kind of be in like rapid response mode for 30 days. I just because I think it would just be fun and people will, it would create a lot of delight and it sounds enjoyable to me. Hmm. That's interesting. Do you feel like a, a good percentage of the like things that people write into requests are like in line with stuff you would already want to address, or do you get a lot of off the wall stuff? Actually, no, it's pretty in line. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why we're so hashtag blessed there, but um, I think we we pretty rarely get requests where I'm just like, we're never going to do that. It's almost always like, yep. It's always it's almost always is at least like something that I I would see us doing eventually, if not you know soon. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the same position. I don't quite know why that is or if that'll stay that way for the long haul because you hear about like, I mean, I remember like the base camp team would always talk about like having to relentlessly say no so much. Like sounded like they were constantly getting feature requests for things they were never planning to build into the product. And by and large, feature requests are like, yep, that's already on the roadmap. It's just a matter of when. And so it's kind of a good place to be in, I think, because it kind of makes my job easy in that sense. Right. Probably everything that you do ship will be somewhat useful to most of your customers. Right. Yep. yep. It might also just be a factor of like the age of our apps, our businesses, where it's like there's still plenty of like fundamental things we want that are like just, just clearly missing or could be improved and whatnot. It could be that a, th- a few years from now, the requests get more esoteric as we have satisfied the, the broad swath of things. And now it's like people want these weird things. Yep. Yep. And we get better at marketing and reaching sort of maybe less savvy customers or, you know, people with weirder use cases, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. But for now, I'm digging it. Yeah. No, it's good. It's a good spot to be in in the early days. And doesn't that sound fun? Just doing a a month of that, like rapid response stuff. That just sounds great. And for like, if there's a feature, it's like, this sounds really good. What's like a, what's a two day version of this we can ship? You know, it's like, okay, yeah, that, that's a good idea. Let's, let's do a small version of it just so we can like get back to them and be like, yep, it's out. Here you go. Hmm. Hmm. That could be interesting, also, to have like a rapid response team kind of permanently in place. I don't know if that. <laughs> I don't know if that would actually scale or whatever. But I heard about GitHub doing this thing, like they call it, like their paper cuts team or something. I think. Oh and yeah, they, yeah, yeah. 
where they were just like trying to relentlessly address some of these like small things that were going to have a pretty big impact on people. And I don't know if that's like a permanent team. I don't know much about it, but thought that was interesting. We have talked about doing like a support engineer kind of person because like sometimes there's like these little bugs that are kind of weird that only pop up in certain things. It's like, this is going to take like a day just to find the thing. And so it's like, do we spend the day on this fairly rare bug? Well, probably not given our resources. But if we had a person whose just job it was to track that down and that might be nice. Yeah, we definitely made use of support engineers at Drip because like a lot of times people would run into, like if they had an issue with the product, it was oftentimes complex enough where like we needed eyes from an engineer on it anyways or like there was just you know things involving installing things on their website or the javascript or hitting the api or whatever so just like technical in nature so we had one of our engineers who was spent half his time building product together half the time he would basically on support rotation working closely with andy our tier one support guy it was interesting because we were like using this this really really valuable resource part time for handling, you know, support questions, and so it was like we could get really really good in depth nuanced responses back to people about how to solve their problems. But we were aware that like we're spending this this resource of like this engineer who could be building product is spending time on this thing. So there was always kind of a little bit of a tension there, and he was a good sport about it, and he did it. He did his job well, but it kind of started to burn him out a little bit as like someone who primarily wants to do engineering, like handling the support part of it was like always felt like a temporary thing. And then later on, we ended up having a couple more support engineers and like the biggest challenge was like not burning them out. And so that's kind of it's one of those interesting roles. Yeah, well, maybe we'll do that eventually. So we've been discussing upcoming features to build. Dan, our designer, recommended looking at a tool called Canny. Are you familiar with this? Um, I've heard of it, but I don't know too much about it's it. It's kind of like a uh, user feedback collection tool. It's like get their feedback, say if you're going to work on it, let people vote on things, tell them when it launches, that kind of deal. And uh, I might give it a shot. Like we, we are kind of doing all of these things just ad hoc. Like we have a roadmap, it's just a random page on the marketing site, and we get all these customer requests, and they, I just kind of like take them under consideration and whatnot. I don't like tally the votes or collect them somewhere or segment by team size or something like that. I think I might give it a shot. Part of me is worried about like putting it's like once you have this sort of semi public page where it's like, look, 49 people have upvoted this thing, and it's like, yeah, but we're still not going to do it. Is like <laughs> it could kind of create a maybe an awkward situation. So I could see some weird follow-on effects potentially of of having it, but I also kind of just want to try it just to see. Yeah, that's my primary concern. Is like like building products is kind of a it's an art form driven by product creators, and it's not really a democratic process. And some of these try to like force it into being a democratic process, or like allowing people people feel like their upvote is like actually like kind of forcing your hand a little bit to build that thing quicker where you know you always have your own set of priorities but maybe a lot of that can be handled with really good communication like proactive communication on on there you know but i don't know that is my concern as well yeah i might also just do like a lighter weight version of it like which is like send a survey kind of thing to get some to get a round of feedback that doesn't turn into like this like lasting public artifact but we have talked a few times about things like this like should we have a forum like for support requests slash people helping each other slash finding people to pair with or something. We don't have a collaborative 
space for our customers anywhere, or like a, a sort of a thing they can go on and edit and deal with there. So it, there might be something interesting there. Yeah, yeah. I'd be interested to see what you end up experimenting with because I mm-hmm. feel like, yeah, I feel like some degree of roadmap transparency would be good for me. But the question is how much and what venue. There's so many, so many different ways to tackle it. So, yeah, totally. I'll, I'll let you know what I end up doing. Yeah, yeah. Our Linux client keeps moving forward, by the way. Ooh, nice. You can but, sign into it now. Really? Ooh. Yeah. Is this still technically ahead of schedule? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the plan wasn't actually to start development until next quarter. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. But, but shh, don't tell anybody. Spencer's <laughs> been kind of working on it. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. It's going to be a different world. It's going to be interesting. We might have a, we'll have like client number two coming on online in some number of months. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And the cool thing is also that basically all the work we're doing to make the Linux client work then would make a Windows client mm. much easier. Yeah. Because we're, we're doing the like, you know, pulling apart of things and the pushing into C and all that. So it's like once you cross this one bridge, the next bridge gets a lot shorter. There's a lot of users on the other side of that bridge. <laughs> I think maybe six months ago it was like Windows Schmindos. Kind of thing, and now it's kind of like, well, maybe now it's not that far off the path. I know that's kind of how I feel about calendar integrations too. Like, I'm anxious to get Outlook started. I've been talking about this. I feel like I've mentioned it the last four times we've recorded, <laughs> and I've yet to break ground on it. But I'm starting to get the sense that, like, all right, I can see kind of the boundaries where the abstractions should be, where they aren't currently today, and building this. Like building another client, building another major integration like this forces you to get those abstractions right because, or you're going to just you know hack stuff in, which don't want to do. So once those abstractions are truly right with truly two different adapters in place, then it's like, well, going from two to three, like you said, shouldn't be that bad. Yeah. Once you make the like one to n abstraction, yeah, the n becomes pretty arbitrary. Yeah, indeed. So I'm. I'm excited for the possibilities of what that'll open up once I go into the end territory on that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that could be good. I have this theory, and this is like pretty half-baked and probably will always be half-baked, but like in programming, as soon as you go from 1 to 2, you should just go from 1 to n. As soon as you're like, oh, there's not just one kind of user, there's a user and there's an admin, it's like just assume there's going to be some number of user types and build the abstraction to handle the n. And maybe by default, instead of ever assuming there's one of anything, assume there's n of anything. And if there happens to be one, great. And then when you want to go to two or more, don't change anything. It's like, what if every time you use has one in Rails, you instead just used has many? And do you use, you know, map over things? Like, you know, map over the collection and do that as opposed to being like, there's exactly one, do the thing to it. Yeah. I've had to face a, a couple of those in building Savvy Cal, like with respect to integrations. You know, a lot of times you end up coding things like, I will assume this person will have one Zoom account. So you're only allowed to have one of these types of integrations. And it's like, no, I'm going to make sure it's multi because you always, I remember this at Drip, we always encountered scenarios where like, couldn't imagine it when shaping the product, but sure enough, someone's like, no, I've got these two Stripe accounts and this is the exact justification why and I need to do this thing. And it's like, okay, well, and it's painful having to re- re-architect in that direction. Right. I've done this refactoring a million times. Yeah. I'll yeah. be like, I thought there would only ever be one subscription, team, user, plan. 
name, address. Like, and it's, it always ends up being like, oh, actually, there's more. I've done this a million times. I almost never go the other way. So it's like, what if you just paid the upfront cost of thinking like, this is just always a collection. So given that, what should I do? And solve that problem as part of the initial design. Never build up all these assumptions about singleness. And then you have sort of effortless expansion into the N over time. Yeah. Like as much as you can centralize your logic around accessing, like if you're treating it as one for now, the hard part is sometimes to not like sprinkle hacky things all over the place, like always taking the first element off the array, basically. Like if you can centralize that in one place so that like if you end up expanding it down the line, it's pretty, you only have to change in one place. That's I've found like I've had to refactor that multiple times in that direction. Totally. Yeah. yeah. This comes up in Ruby in particular. I think this is almost extra true for Ruby because you end up with nil in certain places. Like if you're like user.address dot capitalize or whatever, it's like, oh, address was nil, so you can't call capitalize. Like but if you say like user.address dot map capitalize, it's like, okay, well, if it's an empty array, no problem. That's just, you know, you'll have an empty array or at the end. And if it's got one thing in it, you get that. And if it's got a thousand things in it, you get that. And it's like, ah, like the map abstraction just kind of clears this up for you and handles those cases. And you're never calling stuff on nil. Like right now in tuple, it's like you can be on one team. And it's like, yep, it might be nice to change that one day. But just imagine the magnitude of that change. It's huge. Whereas if we just said users could have many teams and in practice, they only have one. But we just know this always comes back with a collection, and so we operate on that collection. And then someday later, we change that, and it's like, oh, this, is, this actually is way easier. Like, it's like it doesn't impose much cost and then potentially gives you big gains later on when the, the world almost inevitably changes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you push it down to at least the database layer, so you're storing it in the database as, as a one-to-many relationship, and maybe at the the earliest point in your code where you're touching that you're like forcing it into being a singular thing you know so like most of your code thinks it's one thing that's still a lot easier to change than like refactoring database stuff is the worst like it's a lot easier to change code that operates on on a database schema than it is to actually change the schema itself so mm-hmm. yeah but yeah if just everywhere i had just done like user.teams.map name it's like well if it ever changes i'm not, I'm not gonna need to come back here and, and deal with this again it's like if you can build, if you can build in a way that you're not going to have to come back and change it, that sure is nice. If it's not too costly in abstraction complexity, this is a pet theory of mine. I kind of want to try it sometime. Next app I make, I'm just going to make everything has many. See, there's probably a an extension of this where it gets too insane. You know, like I do enjoy a good a good one to one. If like I know for sure, and there are cases where like you know for sure that this is only going to be one and then it's just really nice if you can just like rely on it being the only thing and it's like always there and i also like non-null constraints i love those you know it's like I, oh yeah this thing sure. will never Definitely. be null um yeah absolutely good null constraints is yeah. great yeah hammer of i love hammering as many of those as i can into the database yep yep so of course like neither extreme is correct here but like i think over time part of the wisdom of like being a programmer is like anticipating the stuff that's going to come down the line later accurately. And so maybe what I actually just need is like a list of things where it's like, just always assume a team is going to have multiple subscriptions or like an organization is going to have multiple teams like, and you need another like a layer in there. Eventually I will 
understand the one true SaaS billing architecture or like SaaS modeling architecture someday that will handle all my all my cases. Billing, man. Billing is so hard. <laughs> mm. Did you read that crazy Stripe post on how they modeled their API over time with the Stripe uh, API evolution? I think it's on my to-read list. I like looked at it and I was like, ooh, I definitely want to read this at some point because I feel like I'm going to pull a lot of wisdom out of this. But Yeah, it's, it's solid. It's interesting. It's like, how do you come up with an abstraction that works for just like wildly different types of payments that exist across the world? And it's like just a classic, interesting engineering problem of how they, you know, tried and failed and tried and failed and kind of ended up in a, in a spot that has the design that's been working so far. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, like they're a good example, I feel like, of they're tackling a very complicated space and it's got it's gotten really complicated over time with the way, you know, asynchronous, like payment intents and all that kind of stuff works. But like they managed to still keep like a an approachable API where like sometimes you look at these API specs like JSON the JSON API spec is something we tried to model the drip API after for a while but it was like early days for it and it changed a bunch after we already like fixed on that one spec so that was kind of a bummer but like the kind of like stuff that it wanted you to put on each request so that it was quote unquote correct or like the best way to do it like added a lot of weight to like it felt like there was just a lot going on and a lot of like each payload had had just a ton of stuff in it and i've always felt like stripe manages to strike this nice balance of like oh it just feels like just enough what needs to be there and the keys are well named and everything's understandable but yeah things inevitably do evolve to become more complex over time which i think that's they're another good example of just like how to evolve an api there's some smart people over there i got an email from you this morning yeah the uh, february updates email nice Ship some good stuff, good UX stuff. Yeah, a couple of things. The rescheduling flow, which has been, man, that felt really good to get out. It's been a tricky one because I encountered all kinds of weird edge cases in synchronizing state with people's calendars. <laughs> we get pinged back from Google Calendar. You can, like you can subscribe to webhooks basically when when calendar events change, and so we use that. Like if someone moves. If someone moves a calendar event, then we need to treat that as a as a rescheduling event. And similarly, if someone reschedules through the SavvyCal event page, then we need to update the copy on the calendar. But all kinds of weird things happen. Like each person who's attending, who's marked as an attendee on the event, we get like a webhook back from them that the event changed, but their copy of the event may look different because, because they're a different person. They have different context around around what they see. I feel like uh, February flew by in part because like I built this feature and then kind of every couple of days or so was like investigating some odd edge case thing and it just kind of has has floated around like that. But I feel like we're getting really close to it being like dialed in completely. Nice. Yeah. Good stress test making more bulletproof over totally. time. Totally. Yep. Yep. It's good to get these things out of the way up front as opposed to them like lurking three months down the line, seeing weird behavior and having to Having to like emergency investigate. So, yeah, we had this experience that you're talking about too of like ship a thing. Ooh, there's some interesting follow on bugs from this. And like, it's even though we like tested ourselves and even like have a QA firm go over it, it's like still once it gets out there, it's like, oh, there's this. Oh, there's like we end up doing a hot fix a couple of days later, like pretty, pretty frequently. Software is just a, it's just hard. It's a bear. That's okay. That's why they pay us the big bucks. Any other stuff going on in Savvy Cal land? 
I'm working on another like often requested feature, being able to add additional guests on when you're scheduling. So you can just like, if you want a couple of your teammates to also be in attendance, you can invite them, which is kind of a core basic feature that most other tools have. So, so when somebody goes to book a call, you add more people, you're saying? Yes. Like on the scheduler side, you can add more people. Cool. Nice. Yep. They'll be added as like invited on the calendar event, but not like automatically confirmed. And then when they view the event, it shows their state that they're like in, in the state of needing needing to RSVP. And so I have like some RSVP buttons on the on the Savvy Cal event page. And so there's quite a bit to it. But um but yeah it's it's coming along feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, that's that's out, or that's what you're working on that now. No, that's what I'm working on right now. Yep. And once I ship that, I think probably do another data syncing <laughs> pass because I think I have I have more insights from this week on like edge cases that have come up. And we're like, I think I think I know what I need to do to make this truly rock solid. And then and then after that, I think it's Outlook. So hopefully by the next time we record, I'll be at least starting to piecemeal add Outlook functionality. Nice. Are you getting a pretty solid drum beat of people asking for that? Oh yeah, big. Yep, big. Like probably five to ten requests a week. I feel like. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Nice. So that could that could definitely take you to the next level of growth. Then I think. Oh yeah, I think so. It'll unlock a whole. Yeah, probably similar to it. Speaking of that, are you mm-hmm. seeing decent expansion from the sort of new team plan? Yeah, I've I still like manually handle billing adjustments on those, which is kind of good. So oh, it gives me, yeah, gives me a good like nice. pulse on that. So I get an email every day, and almost every every weekday there's expansion happening. So, ooh, dude, that's that's there. It's that's where it's at. Yeah, yeah. Don't build a business without expansion revenue. Uh, yeah, exactly. And to that point, kind of talking like high priority things for this month. It's Outlook and it's round robin functionality. That one just comes up like all the time too. And basically it's a different mode on what we already have today. Like you can already add teammates to a link. And right now the the mode is like make sure everyone can attend. But instead there's, you know, it'll just be a matter of adding a toggle that that uh, says like, you know, randomly assign someone from this pool. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that unlocking a whole different customer segment. Yeah, like customer success use cases, sales demos, yeah, that kind of stuff. Totally. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, good stuff on the horizon, just trying to make forward progress on that and not get too distracted by all the other things on my plate. And the round robin thing. Mhm. Only makes sense if you have a like let's like three-ish people, right? Or more? Right. Yeah. So it's like a feature that like makes you more viable for larger teams. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I was just thinking about uh, like Tiny Seed and like when you start paying them money, but that's like not until you make you're personally making like a bunch of money, right? Right. Yeah. So so the Tiny Seed structure is basically their equity holders, like any other angel investor. So as soon as I start drawing dividends, they start getting their their share of that. Yep. Got it. Yep. But ramen for or what do they call it? Sustainable first. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 And they, they even um, generously, like they announced this around the time that they started recruiting for batch three, down batch three, they raised everyone's salary cap. So that was part of the like, the structure is like, well, they, they put in, before they added like a salary cap based on like senior engineer position in your locale. 
And anything beyond that, if you were drawing more than that out of the business, then it would come by dividends and they would get to participate in it. And they basically just simplified it and raised it to 250K um, across the board, mm. which is generous, you know, I feel like. Yeah. Um, That's pretty solid. Yeah. So, so you can make a bunch of money before you have to start paying them. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, theoretically. Cool. But looking <laughs> forward to, to, you know, providing a return to them. That's part of it. I'll, I'll definitely take joy in that, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. that'll be nice. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Anything else you want to cover? Uh, I think that's it for me. Okay. Quick week. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap it. Notes of the show. Notes of the show can be found at artproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya. Goodbye.